Chapter 2, just as Kevin read. At Christmas time, for probably most of us anyways, it's, uh, it involves giving gifts and receiving gifts. Um, at my particular age, I don't think too much about it. Um, if I get a little bit of bubble bath and a bucket of trail mix, I'm a pretty happy guy, and that's about it, and, and a nap, and I'm good. Um, definitely, I, um, I was, that was not so as a kid. Um, I remember just, just thinking about stuff all the time, uh, probably like lots of kids, just Christmas would crank up, and, and I would just get going, and I would usually get fixated on one thing um, that I wanted really bad, and um, when I get focused on it, I would, that's all I would think about. Um, I would talk about it. I would cut out pictures of it and leave it around the house for my parents to see. Um, I would make frequent reminders. Um, I'd research it. I'd draw pictures of it. I'd just talk and talk and talk and talk about it. Um, I'm sure driving my parents crazy. I remember promising, like, if you just give me this, you can skip the next three birthdays and the next four Christmases, and I won't ever ask for anything. Just give me that. And they would always say, okay, we'll do that. And then, of course, the next Christmas would come, and I'm looking for it. When I was 16, that particular thing was a dog. Um, that's, I wanted an old English sheepdog. And um, I just thought about it all the time, and I did that. I just talked about it constantly, constantly, constantly. That's Boomer. I actually got Boomer when I was 16. Um, it was actually, her name was actually Bloomer, my love. She was actually a show dog. But in our home, it was this boomer, and that's all she was. But um, I got my dog. It was awesome. Um, I don't, it's probably the fact that I still do that now. Um, we had to put our, we had a dog, Dusty. He was 15 years old this summer. We had to put him down this summer. And um, I've been kind of hinting, it would be great to get in her dog. <laughs> great. Um, doing the same thing as I did as a kid. And two weeks ago, we got another dog. So it was awesome. Anyways. Of course, the longings the scriptures talk about it are go way, way beyond anything we could ever want in terms of gifts. Um, we're often encouraged in scriptures to long for his presence. And by the way, longing, when you hear the word, you usually think about sometimes maybe you miss somebody. And that deep, deep part that, goes, that almost hurts inside because you want to see it so badly. We're ta- told to wait or to long for his appearing to long to, to know him more, to long for justice and for salvation, and on and on the list goes in the scriptures. We're in our fourth Advent week this morning. We've looked at these uh, declarations and these songs from Mary, from Zechariah, from the angels. Um, each one of these songs um, have answered a longing of the heart. There's been something in them that they've been looking for something or waiting for something, something promised that had not yet come. And then each one talks about um, an answer that comes to it. Um, A reminder, as our theme has been, all shall be well, that um, even though there may have been great questions and doubts along the way, in the end there was this reminder that all shall be well. And God was answering their prayers. And then each of the songs actually has looked ahead as well. Because as God promises and then God does a work, 
It's always pointing to something else. He's going to keep doing something. There's still something to long for because the story isn't done. So also today our passage here in um, Luke 2 uh, about Simeon, and actually it has the the passage about Anna attached to it. We're going to focus primarily on Simeon this morning, but they basically are both giving us the same message. Um, We are going to get these same things. Looking back, there's a longing, there is a a present answer, and then it, it points ahead to something yet to come. So Luke chapter 2, it begins in verse 22. Um, it says, When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Interesting, um, Jesus comes to fulfill the law. And so even as a child, his parents bring him to do the right things according to the law. The law required that at eight days old, he was to be circumcised. Um, that was a sign and a seal of the covenant that God had made to Abraham. And interesting enough that when Jesus is circumcised, it, it really somehow connects that story with the verse promised given to Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And now Jesus comes along and he, he t- ties in with that covenant as he gets circumcised at eight days old. And it connects him to this larger story and this, this revelation of the promise that was made to Abraham. And then it's described in Leviticus chapter 12, um, when the child is 40 days old, they would go to the temple to do the purification rites, which is what's happening here in this passage. Um, interesting, they, it, it, we're told that they have to, especially the firstborn child, so this Mary's firstborn, they had to redeem the child, is what the scriptures said they had to do. Interesting, the one who comes to be our redeemer had to first be redeemed here and walk through this law. They had to pay five shekels to redeem the one who came as our redeemer. And then they had to present a sacrifice. And like all the songs before us, um, they are an impoverished couple. Each, each of the people we've seen have had not had much to give. And so the Old Testament allowed, if he didn't, couldn't um, present a lamb, they could give two pigeons. And so they offer these, um, these two pigeons as part of their sacrifice. Um, but we know that um, they couldn't afford the lamb, but they had the lamb. The lamb of God was going to come and take away the sins of the world. And then beginning in verse 25, we have um, this story that happens here with this man named Simeon. On a side note, I just wanted to indicate, it's interesting that in each of these songs I don't know if, uh, that we've looked at, um, we are transitioning from the old covenant uh, to the new covenant and so the parents of the last prophet, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were what? They were, they were aged. They were part of this older system. He was even part of the temple and the sacrifices. And yet the mother of the Messiah is young. She's just getting started with life. It's a new beginning. The two witnesses here in Luke chapter 2, Simeon and Anna, are both at the very ends of their life. And that closes out with them as something new begins. And they see Jesus and they testify as to who he is. So this is a transition from the old to the new. Luke 16 says that Jesus says, the law and prophets were until John. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom gets preached. The rule of God and the word has been proclaimed through the law and the prophets. And now in these stories, as the fulfillment arrives in Jesus, it's the ending of an era. So we have these old people that are testifying to it and an opening up of a, of a new era. 
as the kingdom of God comes in her midst. And so we have this, uh, this man, Simeon, and we discover that he had a longing in his heart. Verses 25 and 26 says, There's a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and he was righteous, and he was devout, and he was waiting or longing for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Like Anna, at the end of this chapter, um, it's apparent that Simeon is older. Um, it says that he's faithful. Um, he was coming to the, the temple on a regular basis. He was part of that, and, he, and his faithfulness had resulted in that he's characterized by being righteous and devout. That meant he didn't just externally do the right things, but his heart was in the right place. His life and his faith matched up. It's a, a mark of maturity. We might call him God-centered. And as I said, it wasn't an exterior religion that Jesus ran into so much, but it was a, a faith that was in his heart. And he had at, the, at, at some time in the past, the narrative tells us, had gotten a vision from God that before the day he died, he was actually going to see the one that was promised way back in the beginnings of the, of the Bible, the, the, the coming Messiah, the one that would redeem and save his people. And I don't know if people believed him or they scoffed at that, or um, he said, but he believed he had this vision that he would see the Lord Christ before he died. Interesting, the same is true of Anna, who came into the temple every single day. And it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So first, what is the consolation of Israel? It's simply the messianic hope. It's the promised Christ. It's, it's Jesus and all he brings. That's the consolation of Israel. As they, as they struggle and they're in exile and they're an oppressed people and they feel cast out, their hearts need to be consoled and the consolation will be the arrival of the one who redeems them and brings peace and life and salvation for them. It is a consolation that God's anger is past, that the, the father still has a tender affection for his children. It's the desire to know that their sins are covered and cast away. And they had been waiting a long time for that, a long, long time. Um, and all their disobedience and the ways that they failed um, God had withdrawn in so many ways and appeared to be, and yet they're waiting for this time to come. Isaiah 49 says, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has consoled his people and will have compassion on the afflicted. The, the song of Messiah goes to, goes to the book of Isaiah. Uh, the, the Messiah goes to the book of Isaiah as well, talk about comfort ye, comfort ye my people. And the comfort and the consolation comes because of the arrival of the one who's going to bring peace. If Simeon had had his own Christmas list, um, the, the, the coming of the Messiah, the, the promised one, the messianic hope, that was on his list. That's the only thing on his list. And it consumed him. And second of all, what does it mean that he was waiting? Kevin was talking about waiting. We struggle to wait in line. We struggle to wait a couple minutes. We struggle to, to wait for a, a website to load up, and it happens in two seconds, and we're thinking it's slow, and we call the Internet service, whatever it is. Um, we have no idea. This is, we're talking thousands of years here. 
And Simeon, for as long as he's received his vision, and he probably longed for it before then, he, just, he was just given that he was going to get an answer to it. His life was marked by longing and waiting for this, this coming of the Messiah. He was waiting and longing for God to break into history and finally, as he promised, to redeem his people by sending the Christ. Simeon longed for the healing and restoration from all the past losses and the miseries of life that they had experienced. Israel had known judgment and exile and a departing God. They knew guilt, they knew fear, and he longs for and waits for the Christ to come and to heal all that and to revive the people, to restore them to what they were made for. And so when it talks about waiting, it's really a heart attitude. It's, it's, it's this desire for something to happen. It's praying for something. Some of you have prayed for things for years and years and years. Perhaps it's family members, and they have this deep longing to see something happen, and so you're waiting, and the waiting is a heart attitude. It's waiting on God to do something, to break in. It's looking for it like um, when you're waiting for something that you've been waiting for for a long time. Um, Back in the days when we would send letters, <laughs> I remember waiting on letters from far away or people that I missed dearly, or we were waiting for someone to arrive and they're going to come for the holidays or whatever, and you, you've been thinking about it for the last couple months, just can't wait to see them because it's been so long, and that, that deep part of you that just waits for it eagerly. And so it says Simming was, was waiting, there was a something inside of him that was never going to be content till he saw it happen. And it just filled him. Hebrews 9 says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those, interesting, who eagerly wait for him. We're called to have that same longing, that same waiting. We the desire to see the, the, the kingdom which is present but not yet in that sense, the final fulfillment of all that, the, all the things that were promised to finally finish. We have salvation that comes to our hearts, but we have not seen the healing of the world and uh, the final fulfillment of all God's things that he wants to do and justice and, and mercy and all those things to take place. Scriptures tell us that all creation still groans waiting for that, and our hearts are supposed to be the same. 2 Timothy 4 says, Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And we're still waiting for it. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Just Do I think about that? Or am I just stuck here thinking about this and me and what I need to do today? Is, is, do, I, do I hunger for Christ's second advent to come? My grandfather's tombstone says perhaps today on it because he talked about that all the time. He just constantly talked about the day when Christ will come back and complete his work. And the question comes for me as I, as I think about this man whose life was consumed about just wanting to see the Lord come, just filled him. What do I long for? I don't even want to answer that out loud because it's so, some, some ways, insignificant. 
somewhat petty and what am I desiring and praying for? Is my heart's desire and, and what I long for and wait for aligned with God's heart? What is God waiting for? Because, see, he's, he, he, he wants to get here to do that as well. He's delaying it because he wants to bring people to the kingdom. But God himself is longing and waiting. And is my heart aligned with that? What God promised to bring and what was on his heart filled the heart and the mind of Simeon and it centered him on God alone and it, it characterized everything he did. His life found its fitting around it. And I wonder as we look ahead into the new year, um, if someone wrote a little thing about me like they did about Simeon, what would I be characterized by? Was it, is it a longing for his appearing, for his finished work? Is that what fills me? I'm wondering if this year, as we go into a new year, we might dare to pray this. To pray that God would graciously frustrate us in a life that is not centered on Christ. And to fill us with longings and desires that can't find satisfaction anywhere else than in him. I think he would answer that prayer. Um, that's, that's what he desires to do in us. Would we dare to do that? To pray to God to graciously frustrate us in a life that is not centered on Christ, to fill us with longings and desires that can't find satisfaction anywhere else than in him. And that's how Simeon was characterized, I. Second thing he does in terms of not just longing, but I use the word entering. Verse 27, it says, He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. As Kevin was saying, waiting and desiring um, is hard. And especially when our heart is really invested and we just feel a deep longing for something, it's hard. And in this case, like it had been in our story last week, it's been a long wait for this man. And I'm wondering, how did he keep it fresh? How did he keep waiting? How did he keep desiring for it when it wasn't happening over and over and over again. What was the manner of his waiting? Well, we get a few clues. It tells us that he was righteous and devout. In other words, he must have had some regular disciplines put into his life that kept him aligned with the Lord. Just some regular faithful things that he did that kept his heart right. Second of all, it tells us that he entered the temple. The, the idea here is that he did this all the time. Just didn't all of a sudden going, I think I'll go to the temple today, and it's been months, and he shows up and something happens. He was going all the time. He's probably going because that's where you would find the Messiah, by the way, in the temple. And so he's going there. It's as part of his regular habit of his life. And it tells us that he was in the spirit. He was a man who was familiar with the Holy Spirit's voice and his leading. It didn't just happen all of a sudden here. It was part of who he was. The fact that he went straight to Jesus and these parents and picked him up, he, he, the Spirit revealed to him this is the answer. He didn't just think, you know, if, oh, well, I'm about to die. I might pick somebody. Maybe this will be the one. By the way, for, for years and even hundreds of years, there's people that had risen up and called themselves to Christ, and people were saying that's the one. And it all kept turning out that it wasn't. And here he comes along, Jesus, and he picks him up, and he knows he's the promised one because, as I said, he was familiar with the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, 
we are, our minds and hearts are filled with all sorts of other voices, aren't they? There are so many things that cloud us and fill us up and, and take our attention, and the Holy Spirit's voice can get really dulled, and we can get very numb to it. And he did things to keep that fresh. I think that Simeon was a man who was always looking. I don't think a day went by that he was not always wondering, is God going to show me what his promise? Is God going to keep his promise? Will, will it be today? Will it be today? He was always looking. He entered into each day alert to God and, and attentive to the present moment. I love that. Each moment went by, he was paying attention to what was happening that moment and what was God doing. And I was thinking, how often are the things of God in my life an afterthought of my day instead of the centerpiece of my day? For Simeon, that, that's what he thought about all the time. Too often for us, at some point we think, oh, I should be thinking about the Lord, or I wonder what he thought about that, or I lay back in bed and I think back over my day, when did I pay attention? I'm like, I didn't. I didn't. And it should be the centerpiece of our hearts and minds. And the question is, do I take notice of God's present activity and his blessings? Interesting, we take notice of all the bad stuff, don't we? All the disappointments, the things that we're worried about, the anxieties, we take notice of those things all the time. Why isn't God doing something about this? Do we take notice of God's present activity and his blessings because he is always at work? Third, we have rejoicing. We have the song here, verse 28. Takes Jesus up in his arms, begins to bless God, and he says this as his blessing to God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. He will be a light of revelation to Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The promise uh, made in the garden and then to Abraham and passed along from generation to generation, declared about the prophets, finally is happening here. And God keeps it, and he keeps his promise specifically to this man who gets to see the Messiah, and he knows who Jesus is. He says, this is the one. In verse 29, he rejoices in God's promises that God is a, a covenant keeper. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And I'm wondering if there were, I don't know his, his full heart. Was, he, was, he, was, was there times when he was wondering, will it ever happen, or will this be the end? Or is, is, is it came, he goes, I knew this was going to happen. I've just been waiting for this moment. I don't know where he was at, but he sings out that God is a keeper of his promises. Verse 30, he rejoices in God's salvation. The, the answer that comes to Jesus is rescue for the people. Rescue from our sin. They would have thought rescue from the enemies, which is still was going to happen. And then last year, he rejoices in God's mission. He says here, Jesus has come to do what? To be a light of revelation for who? The whole world. It wasn't just for Israel. It was for the whole world. That was the promise that was given to Abraham from before. The nation of Israel was always supposed to be attentive to taking, holding the truth, not for themselves, but for all people. And Jesus comes along, and he says part of his mission, he's, it's going to expand to the world. 
This song was actually a, a missionary song. Two key words here concerning Jesus and his mission. It says that he's going to bring light. Scriptures say the people will walk in darkness. We'll see what? A great light. Light exposes sin, but light also leads to repentance and salvation. And then he says he's going to bring glory back to the nation. This nation had been unfaithful. Jesus, even if they didn't accept it, was going to be their crown and glory. Because he was the one who was going to bring this good news to the world. Ephesians talks about us. It says that those who are his would be to the praise of his glory. That's who we are. Simeon's song is all about the work and the mission of God to bring people back to their creator and to restore people, that's us, to being to the praise of God's glory. If you are a believer here this morning, that's what he says about you. You, have, you are to the praise of his glory. That's, that's who you are. And to bring people back to their creator and to restore people, and that message is our mission as well. And then lastly here, I'm not even sure what the right word to use. I'm using the word joining, verses 33 through 35. Um, and I'm not sure what the best word is here, but as, as Simeon points to the mission of Jesus, um, it's the arrival of the kingdom of God. And then in these closing verses, he talks about the nature of the mission and, and invites us into it, is what he does. His father and mother marveled at what was said about him, but Simeon blessed them. And then said to Mary, his mother, specifically, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. It sounds hard, doesn't it? And a sword will pierce through your own soul. And then the end of that, so that the thoughts from many hearts might be revealed. Simeon, who, who was made part of this huge grand story, we've seen it each time, that God... Always is doing this great thing, but he uses people and he lets them be part of it. And Simeon becomes part of this story and he points to how the story continues because it doesn't stop here. He's going to die because he knows this is the end for him. But the story is going to continue and he points to it. He points to the mission and he says that Jesus is going to come and he's appointed for the fall and rising of many. Scripture said he was what? A stone or a rock of offense. And people stumbled over him because he came in unexpected ways. And, and what he was calling them to do and to receive in repentance, not everybody wanted to receive it. So as we've been going through Matthew, we've been seeing that increasingly in our study of Matthew that people are stumbling over him. They're offended by him. Scriptures say, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone that will make men stumble and a rock that will make them fall. But he who believes in him will not be put to shame, Romans 9. And he says that he's going to be a sign that is opposed. Um, the word sign here means a, um, is, it's, it means miracle, but miracle as a sign of God's revelation. Jesus did things that, that showed that what he had was the revelation of God. And we see it over and over again, don't we, in the Gospels? Jesus does these things that demonstrate exactly who he is, and it's opposed over and over again. And it's always some oppose it, and they go deeper and deeper that way, and others receive it and listen and let it settle, and it works their way into their heart. And then it talks about suffering here. Specifically, he's talking about the suffering 
that Mary will experience as she watches Jesus and what he goes through. The implication here is that the, the, the suffering is something that Jesus goes through as well. The mission involves suffering. We talk about that Jesus took the path of descent in order to raise us up to the place that he's at. Simeon does not have the wrong notion that when the Messiah arrives, everything's just going to be beautiful because that's not what happened. Um, what happened was difficulty and pain. There was sacrifice, which actually the Old Testament had talked about all along. As our theme has been, all shall be well, all will be well in men's hearts and women's hearts that trust him. But the path towards that is going to hold suffering. And the path that we're on today holds it as well. Interesting, Simeon says that he's at peace. I love this. But he's not at peace because all the difficulty has gone. He's at peace because of, he has the assurance that God is present and that God keeps his word. We saw this in the other songs as well. He's not at peace because everything is easy. And the difficulty is gone. But he's at peace because he has assurance that God is present and that God keeps his word. And that was enough for him. I wonder if that is enough for us. That knowing that he's here, that he's at work, that he has kept his promises again and again and again, is that enough for us to build a trust that someday, in the end, as he finishes his work, all will be well. And just as Simeon was brought into this mission and to, to participate in it, and then he points to the continuing of God's work, what does it look like for us to enter into that mission as well and to carry that message that he won for us on the cross? A couple of concluding thoughts. I'm, I'm going to read, a, I've got a song here I'm going to read. I'm not going to sing it. Um, I did that once here a while back. I don't know if I ever do it again. And actually, it's a song that um, got me thinking about this, this, uh, this idea that things don't look well, but all shall be well. Um, and it goes like this. It says, uh, he called him into the night and said, Abraham, count the stars so bright. Through you, true peace will come to every tribe and tongue. Though no one knows my name, blessing is coming all the same. And by the way, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. All shall be well. Now many years went by filled with withered hopes and unanswered cries. So one night a virgin heard a cry that broke the silence of God. The star above them was bright, had shone for Abraham that night. This child, so weak, so small, brings peace and rest to all. And all shall be well. The years unending seem here in this in-between. It's where we are today. Peace on earth, God's will for men, seems like it came and went. The wars linger on. Darkness rages on. We need not stars but sun. Break in, O coming one. That's the longing part we're supposed to have. Sometimes we cannot tell that you will make all things well, but all shall be well.
looking back over the series, a couple things come to mind for me. The reminder that God is always at work in the world in ways that are unexpected, in ways that sometimes are invisible, often. If, if there's anything that comes to these stories is God is working hundreds of years on, generation after generation after generation, moving things as he desired, and at the right time he did what he wanted to do. He's always at work in the world, and he's at work today. And second of all, these stories tell me about these specific people that God's at work in me. God's got something for me, and he's got something for us. He's at work in us as well. And we're not just kind of uh, what the word for it is. Like, we don't matter. Like, God's just doing his work, and somehow we're incidental to it or something. Interesting, God is at work in the world with his great big plans, and then he's at work in us, each of us, to do something, to be part of that story. And that's the third part. God invites us to participate in his work. Each of us, with the places we go each day, the various gifts that we have, who we're around, there's a part that we all play in that. The things we say, how we do, our interactions with each other. God is always inviting us to participate in this grand mission. And then lastly, for those who are in Christ, all is well today. For those who are in Christ, all is well today. It may not seem like it around us, but this place is okay. All is well here. And then because of Christ, all shall be well when he finishes his work. Brian, if you could uh, come on up. Brian and Marie. We have the table here um, every week. A few years ago, I remember we had the table up, but we didn't do communion for several weeks in a row because we wanted to talk, think about waiting and longing for that. Um, but we have the table to remind us of what he's done for us. The one Simeon waited for has come, and he brought light and glory and salvation, um, but it was done through suffering. It was done through the cross, and it was done in order to set us free. 1 Peter 1 says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in these last times for our sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and our hope are in God alone. And we come around each week to the table and remember what he's done. We have a chance to have our hearts, the compass of our hearts realigned to point to God once again so that we can then go out the doors, reshaped and be able to offer something to the world that needs to hear the message. If you are visiting this morning, um, the table here on the side in the back are, um, if you know the Lord, it's open to you. We, we break off the bread remembering his his body that was uh, on the cross given for us. We dip it in the cup 
knowing that it was the shedding of blood that the forgiveness of sins has come to us. And we do it giving thanks, and I encourage you this morning to do it saying, come Lord Jesus, come, to do his work and to finish what he came and began for us. Let me pray, and then we will gather on the table and sing. Lord, I, I thank you for Simeon. Thank you for Anna and the story, both people whose lives were so gathered around you that all they did found its focus there. And I am so scattered. Um, my life diluted in so many things, and you just get a piece of it sometimes. And Gather us to yourself afresh. Fill us with a deep, deep longing for your coming. Give us eyes that are always looking for your activity. They're attentive to the moment. That are quick to say yes as you pull things from our life that would distract us from that. Fill us with the peace that comes knowing that you keep your promises and the strength to participate in the mission that you've called us to. We thank you for this table, for the bread and the cup, the reminder of the cost for our freedom and for our rescue and for the peace that we get to enjoy. And so as a church together this morning, we give you thanks we praise your name, and we look forward to the day when you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the Lord sends us, receive this as a benediction. Let us go from this place proclaiming that we have seen the glory of God, believing that there is light that shines in the darkness, which the darkness shall not overcome. And may the love of the Creator, the joy of the Spirit, and the peace of Christ be with you this Christmas and evermore. Amen.